And it is true, his name is worthy. He's the only one with a worthy name. And we are worshiping our worthy God. And what a blessing it is to be here this morning amongst you, brethren in Christ and friends. Welcome to each of you, both members and uh, friends from our community. We thank you for coming today. Those who are online and those who are here present. Let's go together to God in prayer, please. A magnificent, most awesome, holy, and great God. You are gracious and kind and merciful. And we thank you. Your name is great. Hallowed be that separate and beautiful name. Help us, Lord God, to revere that name and to serve you humbly. And this morning as we worship you, we pray that our minds will not be led astray, not be held captive by the world, but to be focused and fixated on you. Thank you for Jesus, your great son, who died on that cruel cross of Calvary that we may live. Help us, Lord God, never to forget. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for be thy will. Amen. John chapter 15 is where we're going this morning. A united one. This sermon this morning is about the Godhead. And um, we're going to try to uh, well continue on that theme as we've been working our way through and speaking on this topic. The divine nature is undivided and indivisible. The members of the Godhead are distinguishable, but not separable. There is Father, there is Son, and there is Holy Spirit. There is but one infinite Spirit. One perfect Spirit. Infinite in power, absolution in power, and perfection, the Godhead. It's a beautiful topic to study. One being. Any one person of the Godhead has all the power of the Godhead. Which is pretty powerful. Pretty remarkable. The Father is neither the Son nor the Holy Spirit. God is united. I want to look at some passages just to show the clarity in the scriptures. John 15 and verse 26 is where we'll start. They demonstrate God being united but being separate. John 15, 26. When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. So here Jesus is, is, is separating this united Godhead that is inseparable, which is, you know, an amazing thought within itself. Again, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom Jesus Christ will send to you from the Father, that is the Holy Spirit of truth, who will proceed from the Father, he, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness of me, Jesus Christ. 
I mean, he's just, he's just showing us there's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And by the way, the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, right? So that's, you know, we kind of, I guess we decided that we'll use the word Trinity, but that's not really what the Bible says. John 14, in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. So again, Jesus now, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. Verse 26. But the hope, the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. At the baptism of Jesus, Matthew, please, chapter 3, we, we see with, with clarity that, that there's this, this ultimate amount of con- confusion and yet at the same time no confusion at all. Verse 16, and after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we, we see that the father is not the son and the father is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the father and the Holy Spirit is not the son. The son is not the Holy Spirit and the son is not the father. God is separate and yet united. And the reason why this should, when you really start digging, kind of boggle our minds is because we're finite. We can't truly understand the depth of God's message. But I tell you what it should do to us. It should make us fear, right? Because there's so much that we'll never truly understand about the greatness of our God, nor the complexity of our God. Second Corinthians Chapter 3. The Godhead is separate and yet united. Verse 14, 2 Chronicles, I mean, Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you, God. Back to John. Again, chapter 15 and verse 26. For emphasis sake. The good book says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And we trust in this divine book because it comes from our divine God, right? And when we think about God and we say, well, I want to know more about God, the question is, do you really want to know more? (laughs) Because the more you dig, the deeper the well gets. God's word is amazing. Think about for just a moment that they are in each other and they glorify one another. John 14 and verse 10. John 14 and verse 10. They are in each other, right? Father's in the Son, the Son's in the Father, Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, they're just, they're in each other. It's, it's amazing. It's just, the idea is, is impressive. John 14, 10 says, 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abides in me, does his will. John 17 and verse 20. The scripture says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who are, who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. There's something about knowing that every individual Christian is a walking, talking church building that blows my mind. You talk about walking circumspectly, being a peculiar people, and why? Because God is in you. And we are in God. Which means God is everywhere. John 17, verse 4. They glorify each other. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies. I mean, they glorify each other. In John 17, in verse 4, the text says, I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. John 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take a mine and shall disclose it to you. And the Holy Spirit cannot glorify the Son unless he possesses the same glory. Now, I want you to think about something. You, you know, partially some of the reasons why our young folks are walking away from the Lord. Because we don't dig enough. You, you know, we got to get off of the first principles, right, church? As adults start there. And we gotta dig. When I say dig, I'm not saying just read the book. I'm saying read the verse by verse and dig into that verse. Try to exegete to pull out whatever is inside of that verse. God is deeper than some superhero. God is greater than any man. God is out of this world, out of this universe. And if we don't take them deep, it's like when you're going swimming. I remember my brother and I went swimming and, and he told me, he said, I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump off the diving board. And I said, I wouldn't do that because we weren't very good swimmers. And he jumped and he learned what depth really means. <laughs> and he wasn't liking it too much. I was a, I was the smarter one. I just, I learned, I'll say, you know, you go ahead and you go first. <laughs> uh, almost turned out to be a tragedy. 
God's word is just that deep. You have, you have to take the time, brethren, to dig and dig and dig into the word of God. Because that's how we gain this, this deeper level of understanding and recognizing there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. Jesus asked the disciples, he said, will you go away too? And they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter said that. For we know that you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Where else can we go? Got to dig. First Corinthians, please. Chapter 1. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each God. And that's important. I'll tell you why that's important. Because when we think of Jesus, you got to have that trembling fear. Right? It's not a game. This isn't a game. I know we're in, a, we're in a gamer's society, a gamer's world today. This is not a game. This is life. And this life transfers to the next life. And as, as Brother Jay Lee taught this morning, and there's a judgment to come. And it's not a game. Right? And so, should we be serious, fanatical people? Well, it's not a game, so you tell me. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Each individually are God. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is God. Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit is God. You ever heard someone say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is God. Verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived in your uh, this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. John 1, you know this one, beginning in verse 1. Now that you don't know the other things we've read, but here we go. Beginning of verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him and apart from Him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. God is, so now back to our topic, our title, a united one. I'm going to show you just in just a moment. I think, I think I can help. At least it helps me to understand with a little more clarity how we can have, you know, God, uh, you know, the Godhead and this, have this united one. You know, how do, how's that even really, how's that work? In reality, we see it every day. We just don't think about it. Or maybe we do think about it. I know I didn't always think about it, but as you begin to dig deeper and deeper into the scriptures, you think about the Godhead. Uh, God really brings it down to a very simple form to us. And then from the sim- simplicity, from the foundation, then we can dig and go, and go a whole lot deeper, right? 
First Peter, please, chapter, chapter one. So, so the father, father, son, and Holy Spirit is what makes God God. In other words, you you cannot have God without having the Father. Nor can you have God without having the Son. Nor can you have God without having the Holy Spirit. That's what makes God, God. God has made it clear to us that He is one. But when God says He's one, it, it kind of means something else. It's, it's a united one. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered Throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithany, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. They're not gods. They're God. Co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal. And as you start reading in the New Testament, and then eventually we'll get, you know, you go backwards to the Old Testament, and you and you begin to see the Godhead unravel, or if you will, as God reveals himself to us, it is amazing and breathtaking. It's almost like taking a, uh, if you will, a, a spaceship into into the uh, the universe. You start going up into the space and you start looking at the amazing glories of the planets and things. It's like going into it's like going into the bottom of the ocean, to the abyss, and and looking at all the the fish that are down there and all the all the things that live and exist. God is a is a world of a, but nothing but more than amazing stuff and beauty and glory. John 5. And the more that we get to know God, the deeper we fall in love with God, and the more that we realize that there's absolutely nowhere else to go but to be one with God. John 5, 22. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Think, think, think just a moment. How many times do people dishonor Jesus and his name? And they're dishonoring the Father and the Holy Spirit. At the same time, Jesus says, you got to figure it out. We are one. Or... The Godhead is one, a united one. Remember Philip, John 14. John 14, Philip was speaking with Jesus and he was asking, you know, Jesus, you know what? I tell you what, this, this is enough. I'll tell you what's enough. Do this for us and this is enough. Well, what do you want me to do? Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father?
So then, how do we do this from a mathematical equation? You think about God, His Father, His Son, and His Holy Spirit. And you go, see, that's three. And you go, no, you're, see, you're, you're adding. It's, it's multiplication. It's one times one times one. That's one. God is a united one. I want you to think about the things that God has given to us, the examples He's given to us on the earth that show a united one. And we don't even, we, we don't even wrestle with it. Like, like an egg, you know. Someone says, hey, uh, uh, you know, is that, can you give me a, an egg? Or maybe you go to the store and you get a dozen eggs and you have, and you have twelve of these, these things that are united one. It's an eggshell and the yolk and the white. But it's one egg. You, you, you could divide those out from a human perspective in earth. When you think about man, we can divide those out one, two, three. But when you put them together, you have one egg. It's just, it's just an egg. The, the brain, when you think about someone's brain dead, well, we're alive, right? All of us, we're okay. The, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the brain stem, and yet it's, you don't, you don't say he got three, he has three brains. That's one brain, right? All of that, it takes all of that to make the one brain, and then everything else falls into place in that one, into that one brain. You think about H2O, water, right? And you have a solid and a liquid and, and like a vapor gas. And yet it's, it's all three forms of the same substance, right? When it all comes back together, it's all water, right? We, we get that, don't we? And, and so those are some of the things that God gives to us on, on a simple basis. And then you say, wait, well, give me another one. Well, here we are. We're all alive. What do we all possess? Body, soul, and spirit. That's what makes you you. Take one away and you're gone, Right? So, so God has given to us on an elementary level so many uh, examples of of this understanding of a united one. How we could be how we could be one, and yet and yet in some way or another, as humans, we are, God can separate us out. Deuteronomy six. So here's the richness of it. When we go back and look into the Old Testament and we see uh, God speaking. We know things about God that the hearers in that day did not understand. That's amazing, isn't it? Right? And then I'm just wondering what's going to happen in the future, right? Lord, what else are you going to reveal to us? So he said in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your might. In other words, God says, here's what I want you to understand. That I am one, and I expect from you to give me your all. Church, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? And now we know more. We know that God is not just one. God is a united one. And we can, we can understand what the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Son came, and the Son died on the cross for us, a, a, a terrible death. He was executed, but He loved us that much. How are we doing with that church? Giving God everything. How are we doing with teaching our children, raising them up to understand what it is to serve God and who God really is? Someone said we have to we have to give our children a choice. I agree. The problem is we're not putting God on the right plane. 
See, because when you put God on the right plane, when you put him on the scale, there really isn't a choice. I mean, because what, what can compare to God? See, if we don't teach them that nothing compares to God, they fall away. Because they begin to compare things to God, right? They, they begin to, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Okay, watch. So, Genesis chapter, chapter 1. God is a complete unit. And if we put God on the plain, plain field of, of, of you know, um, evolution, in many cases, from a, from a worldly perspective or for an uneducated perspective, God loses. And when I say uneducated, I mean, you know, we become smarter than God, right? Then God's the one that's uneducated, not us. <laughs> and we wouldn't dare say we're uneducated, right? Put on a white coat and you can say anything you want to and people will believe you, right? We gotta change that. We gotta, we have to arm our children with the power of the message of God. And we have to arm ourselves too, brethren, with the power of the message of God. Look at God as a united one. God is a complete unit. He gave us examples. You start thinking about, you, again, remember I said earlier, you start digging and then you, and then you go back and you go, wait a minute. I, now I get probably why God tells us that. You know, in the creation, God doesn't really give, he doesn't give us any, uh, any, he doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't go into any kind of scientific facts. He just said, look, I made the earth in six days. Day one, I did this day, two day, three, all the way up. You know, I rested on the seventh day and that's all you're going to get. And, and then we, we start digging on, well, what does that mean? What does it mean when God did this and God, and, and that's, uh, that's all right. But there's more to it. Watch, watch what God, watch what God demonstrates. Genesis 1 and verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, one day. The one day, the word one, that one, by the way, it speaks, it's the same idea what God says when he says I'm one in Deuteronomy. That one day was composed of two parts, right? morning and evening. So when you say that there's one day, you, you, you're getting a glimpse into this united God, that Jehovah God is one, but is a compound or a compounded one. Right? One, one day is two parts, but it's only one Day. Now what happened, what happens in the world of science, uh, when you think about the compounding one for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the world of science, they start talking about that one day and they go, well, does that word compound, is a day compound to just, is it one day, 24 hour period? And the Bible makes it clear. There's a Hebrew word, the word yom, that makes it clear that, that one is a 24 hour period of time. But no, what, what the world of science is, well, you know, within that day, we can get a thousand million trillion billion years. That's not what the Bible's teaching us. God is teaching us from a, from a earthly perspective what one day is. It's, it's a compound of two. The morning and the evening. And then he, he uses the example again for us. Genesis 2 and verse 24, uh, for the multitude of married folks, we've read it. And what did God say? 
For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one, right? Husband and wife are one. Well, he's telling us again. He wants us to understand that when you, when you start digging into the scriptures, you can understand that two persons can become a compound of one. He said, oh, okay, so we have two, we have morning and evening, and then we have husband and wife, but, but God, you know, when you, you kind of started speaking of this in the New Testament, and it was way deeper than the, the whole world, you said, in you, all of the Christians in you are one. How was that possible? He said, okay, we'll just keep reading. Genesis chapter 11, remember the Tower of Babel? What did God say about that? Look at the builders of the, of the tower. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So here, many persons, if you will, become a united one. And by the way, that goes deeper because then that goes to the church, right? How... Oh, there's just so much to this, right? Colossians, please. Chapter 2. So Yahweh is our God. He's one God, but not an absolute one. He is a united one, a compound one, composed of Father and of Son and of Holy Spirit. And each is called God because each is God. But neither... Is God alone without reference to the other? That's the part I want you to get. Because what that does is it lifts Jesus up in our minds where he's supposed to be. Co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal. And when people say, well, I'm just going to, when I see Jesus... I'm going to, it's not going to happen. You look back in the Old Testament and look at the times that the angel, an angel showed up, just an angel and how they feared. Right? And then God and Job, uh, what, 39 and, and, and uh, 40 or 38 and 39, uh, and, and the whole, as he talks about the creation. And then he starts talking about the Leviathan and he starts talking, and he goes, you're afraid of that thing? I made it. Right? Do we have God right in our minds? If we get God right in our minds, everything else takes care of itself. The next time that you are tempted, think about God. The next time that you consider uh, doing something that you know you ought not do, think about God. You don't have to look over your shoulder, just look into your heart. There he is. Jesus came, and when Jesus came, I want you to realize the power and the authority in which he came. Colossians 2. He was in the body, in verse 8, the Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty uh, deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Jesus, in him, 
all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So while Jesus died on the cross, brethren, it was the Godhead that suffered and died for us. Something more to God than we often think of. There's one God and only one. There's one essence, one substance, one being. And with, within that being, there are three distinctions. There are three distinct manifestations called persons or personalities, whatever you want to call that. But the three persons exist in the Godhead of the same substance, equal in power and equal in glory. Why is Jesus the Son? It's for our sake. Because we understand father-son relationship, mother-son relationships. And we know how it pains us when our children are hurting. We can understand that. And we would understand what it would mean for our children to die for the enemy. And that, and that would pain us. We would say, are you crazy? Why would you do such a thing? The Bible says he's called the son. And that's important. Well, in baptism, we're closing this out. Matthew 28. The authority is by the grace of our God. By the mercy of our God. And when the Bible tells us to do something, we just ought to do it. I was studying with um, some folks and they said to me, um, they, they weren't Christians, and they said, well, we, we just follow the red letters. We don't read the whole Bible because it's just, there's just so much to read. We just follow the red letters. <laughs> so, I said, well, some of the Bibles don't have red letters, so let me get my, I got, oh, here you go. I got one with red letters. Okay, I'm going to follow the red letters. All right, well, what are we, what are we going to read? And so, you know, they, you know, pick and choose, right? See, he loves us. <laughs> I go, let's go to this one right here. <laughs> let's follow this red letter. Because <laughs> it says, in verse uh, 18, Jesus came up to them, spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then we just kind of stop there and I say, and he said, don't just read the red letters, read everything. Right? He has all authority. But then it goes on to say, Go therefore, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God manifested to us. Co-equal, co-substantial, co-eternal. In order to be saved, one has to do what the one God says to do. And that is to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. There is no other way. That comes from the Godhead. It didn't just come from Jesus. You know, if someone, you know, is a little confused and think, well, you can, that Jesus doesn't speak on his own authority, right? Jesus doesn't speak on his own. What Jesus says, the Father says, and the Holy Spirit says, and what the Holy Spirit says, Jesus says, and the Father says, and what the Father says, Jesus says, and the Holy Spirit says, for they are one. 
And they say, you've got to get baptized. In fact, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized not. Right? Well, he didn't, say, he didn't say baptized not. I know, but that's the inference. And not be saved. I'm closing in Hebrews chapter 9. We got to start digging. Digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the scriptures. And, and we have to make sure, and I'm not saying that you are on milk, but I'm saying make sure our children don't stay on milk. Because they stay on milk. They just learn, I didn't learn those stories, you know, Noah's Ark and, 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 you know, and the little cute little story, which really isn't a cute story, right? I mean, not when you look at the, we'll, we'll get to that one. Um, and, and when you, you know, you, you start, I, I didn't learn all those stories until I was like, what, 19? Do your children understand those accounts? Because they're not even stories. <laughs> they are literal accounts. I'm wondering this morning, how deep are we taking our children? So that when someone in the world tries to pull them away from God, they would say, where shall we go? <laughs> For you have the words of eternal life. You can't leave God. Hebrews 9 and verse 13. The sanctifying, cleansing work of the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 13, For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If our children are confused, teach them salvation. Teach them how to cleanse their hearts. Teach them how to cleanse their conscience. Teach them how to find peace in a chaotic world. And the only way you can do that is by teaching them Jesus. This morning, if, if, if you're struggling and we can help in any way, if you'd like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism, if there's anything that we can do, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come? Oh.